what is a democracy? We've run over quite a lot of characteristics during these episodes, so I thought it might be worthwhile bringing the whole thing together and talking about each of them in turn very briefly. And before we start, let's get rid of the notion that democracy is entirely exhausted by the fact that people can vote. People can vote all over the world, not always fairly, and they don't always have a choice. And as we've seen lamentably in the United States in recent years, they don't always accept the result and choose to invent all sorts of reasons why the result isn't fair just because they don't like it. Let's accept that there need to be free and fair votes on a one-person system without fear or favour, without intimidation, without corruption, bribery, coercion and any of the other things that can distort it and then think about the other things that characterise democracy. The first that I'd like to go for is the characterization that I talked about in the last episode, which I will therefore deal with quite quickly, which is that democracy certainly needs to have two characteristics in as much as it is a constitutional process, not, I think, a mechanism, but a process that allows us to reach agreement, even when we differ, and finds ways to accommodate dissent, even though it may sometimes be uncomfortable. And as I said in the last episode, because we are all different, in practice we are all reaching agreement all the time. That's true of the people we live with in our houses, the people we share our roads with, the people we share schools and offices and shops and everything else with. We all have different views on pretty well everything. And as I've said before, that's one of the reasons why when we consider the way we accommodate differences in views, it's important not to concentrate simply on a single issue like Brexit or any other referendum because it polarises people and doesn't force them to make accommodating choices based upon a balance of views. They can simply decide to be pro-Europe or not pro-Europe, and that isn't real. And those who were stupid enough to call the 2016 referendum were just as guilty of the outcome for that reason as the people who voted. The other part of this, of course, is that we accommodate dissent. And as I also said in the last episode, dissent can take many forms. It can take malignant, destructive forms. But more often than not, it simply means that people are voicing their disagreement with some position. And on that basis, the worse a government is, the more likely it is that a country will manifest its democratic credentials by opposing it. And we can see, and the point has been made by many commentators, that in get of getting rid of Liz Truss in 46 days, the country did, to some extent, demonstrate that it is still, at that, to that extent at least, democratic. 
The fact that she ever got elected in the first place is, of course, a rather um, unfortunate counter to that optimistic argument. So we've got voting. We've got a process, a constitutional process for reaching agreement. And we have a method for accommodating benign, constructive dissent voiced with integrity. Now let's deal with the two criteria that John Dewey suggests also need to be present. One of them is that we should feel, it's a triple thing this, one of them is that we should feel that we can voice our opinions In other words, that we can say what we think without fear of reprisals, without fear of being shouted down, abused or bullied. The second is that we should be entitled to defend those views when they are attacked, as I'm sure they will be. And the third is that we should be free to disagree with other people's views. In other words, we should be free to dissent. So to voice, to defend, and to disagree, I suppose one could say that the fourth is we should also be free to agree. But most of us find that relatively easy to do. And so that's another criterion that is not observed, not practiced in many countries that maintain that they are democracies. For example, in the People's Republic of China or in Russia, you cannot voice your views unless they agree with the party view. You cannot defend them. You certainly can't disagree with the party view. And the second of Dewey's views, which in many ways is the most problematic of them all, of all five of these, is that there should be a free flow of reliable information. And in recent years, although it's probably always been true, but in recent years we've become particularly conscious of fake news, but much more seriously of the distortion of the news, sometimes in the name of balance. The BBC has recently been criticised because it doesn't take a view that the number of people who who are asserting or approving a particular point of view should be some measure of how much airtime they get. So that the BBC thinks that if a million people think one thing and two people think another, they should both be represented equally. But that's actually really rather a silly point of view, isn't it? Because the two people can be mavericks. And that's one of the reasons, of course, also, why we need to be so careful about proportional representation. Because what we may succeed in doing is giving a voice to people who really don't deserve the voice that they get. I'm not arguing that people should be silenced. I'm simply arguing, as I think should be argued, 
that we don't want the likes of Nigel Farage, who is of insignificance in terms of his political weight, should be given the airtime that he is given. Neither, for that matter, should a great many other people, like Matt Hancock, get so much coverage because they're on I'm a Celebrity. But we are a fickle people, and we pursue strange and fickle things. But we shouldn't allow our understanding of information, the flow of information or the reliability of information, to reflect that. So what have we got? We've got voting. It should be free and fair. We have got a constitutional process for reaching agreement. We have a constitutional process that accommodates dissent. We have the freedom to voice, defend and dissent from views. And we have a free flow of reliable information. So those are five really quite important parts of democracy. But there are still others. There are other things that need to be in place. A democratic system that satisfies the five criteria we've already voiced needs also to have a good education system. It needs to have a good legal system and it needs to have a good civil service that can implement fairly and without rancor and without prejudice the decisions that are properly and democratically, democratically reached by those in government. But it won't surprise you that I want to place a question mark against the notion of government, except insofar as it occupies a minimal status in a state. The point about democracy is, and all the points that have been listed in the five processes and criteria so far is that it must also be participatory. You and I must feel that we are a part of it, that we own it, that it is our democracy, that our voice will be heard in it, and that we have not only a right to contribute to the views that are expressed in it and the values that are embodied in it, but also a duty to inform ourselves about it and to make our voices heard. It's an illusion to suppose that we can sit back in our farm, in our flat, anywhere in the country and just allow things to carry on on the assumption that somebody somewhere will sort everything out. If we look to leaders, politicians or other people to sort things out, we really have no basis upon which to argue when they don't sort them out the way we think they should. And that can give rise to very deep, sharp conflicts and indeed deep, sharp dangers. Because, of course, if we look after ourselves, and most of us are inclined to do that most of the time, then we will not see when the mob is forming or when the brown shirts are bullying. The majority 
needs to avoid what John Stuart Mill called the tyranny of the majority. A majority must always be cognizant and respectful of minorities. And that is why the current invective against people trying to come to this country across the channel in calling them an invasion is so offensive and why the people who do it simply are not suitable for public office. This is the same kind of thing that led to the June the 6th raid on the Capitol building in Washington. It's deplorable. It is the end of democracy if we allow it. But the end of democracy follows every time you and I leave it to somebody else to sort this kind of thing out. We may only have a small voice, but it is a voice. And like the person who throws the starfish back into the sea in the face of the overwhelming number that needs saving, all you can really do is say, well, I made a difference to that one. We all need to make a difference to all of it, all the time, or we have no business criticising what anybody else gets up to. Thank you for listening. 